Welcome to the Women of Marvel podcast. I'm Ellie Pyle. And I'm Judy Stevens. Hello, Ellie. Welcome back. Thank you. I took a little bit of time off recently, so I'm so excited to hear the amazing episodes that you all put together while I was gone. So tell me about this episode you've got for us today. So we really wanted to start Women's History Month off with a bang, with uh, something special. So I decided to host a roundtable with some of my favorite women at Marvel about the one thing we all have in common, which is fandom. So the four women I talked to, they all do unique jobs at Marvel that are all important and essential to the new media team. But they've all come to Marvel with this deep love for the stories and the heroes and the villains that have brought us all together. I think Storm was the first person who caught my eye because I was like, who is this amazing, badass woman who can control the weather? (laughs) And they have strong opinions on their favorite Marvel characters, um, which we'll get into. And plus, we, we talk a little bit about what it's like to work at Marvel. There's that moment like 10 seconds before you press publish that you just sit there with your like holding your breath like... Okay, here we go. I am very excited about this. I hope some of those strong opinions got a little contentious. So let's hear what you've got. So let's check out my interview with Faith Disa, Alana Hernson, Jen Lai, and Haley Knatzer. Hello, everyone. I'm so excited for the amazing ladies that are joining the call right now. You know, for Women's History Month, we want to talk to the women who actually work at Marvel in the building. If there was a building... Across the coast. So why don't we have each one of you introduce yourselves? Alana, say hello. Hi, I'm Alana. I work in the social media department at Marvel. It's a great time. We post stuff to Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, and it's a party. Uh, Jen also works with you. I do. I'm Jennifer. I work also on the social team. And we also, apart from posting to all those channels, we also read everyone's comments and replies on everything. We're always watching. (laughs) Always watching. Well, you want to talk about who's always posting. Haley, say hello. Yeah, I'm Haley and I'm the associate manager of content distribution. Basically, any video you watch or podcast you listen to, including this one, comes from me. I upload it. (laughs) Yay! And then we have Faith, who takes all of this stuff and aggregates it into numbers and sends it out to everyone. That's absolutely true. I'm Faith. I am the audience development coordinator at Marvel. So it's a little bit of wrapping stuff all together, a little bit of studying you, the fans, seeing what you guys like about what we're doing, what you hate about what we're doing, all that fun stuff. So what we're going to do today is we're going to get deep and dirty into your fandoms and who your favorite characters are. I feel like we could start off with the woman wearing a red shirt. I wonder why... Faith wears red. (laughs) Faith, who's your favorite character? I don't know. So it's a very not well-known fact at Marvel that I'm a big fan of Wanda Maximoff, aka the Scarlet Witch. I'm a big, big fan of magic and things like that. So she's been my fave for a long time. What is it about Wanda that really drew you in? I mean, she is an iconic character. She's been around for a very long time. She has a really interesting past and story. But what is it about Wanda? 
Yeah. Well, she has been my favorite since I was like a little kid. The first comics I read were from like House of M and stuff like that. So I literally, the first comic I ever read had her and Quicksilver on the cover and I've been aggressively attached ever since. But I was a kid who grew up loving like magic and fantasy and things like that. So among superheroes who were doing a lot of just straight up punching, her magic and mysticism definitely appealed to me. And as I've gotten older, I've sort of come to admire that she's a kind of a character who has been through so much. She has been through so much trauma and, you know, been isolated from the people that she loves and her friends and things like that and had had her life and backgrounds and her views on who she was changed over and over again. But she continues to persevere and keep going and uh, never lose sight of, you know, that end goal of like trying to be a better person. I think that's all we can ask of people, especially a character like her who has so much power and, you know, in the Marvel Universe, you can't expect her to, to do right all the time because, you know, there's so much resting on her shoulders. So yeah, I feel like my first iconic view of Wanda is obviously House of M at the end when she says no more mutants. I mean, what a powerful comic to begin with. But oh, yeah. what, what a powerful story to tell about Wanda, which I think you can't always do right. Sometimes you stumble along the way. So let's slide over to Alana, who has tears. <laughs> um. In both respects. Both versions of that word. You know what? I think that's okay because we can all love variants of characters. So first of all, let's talk about why you have tears. Anyone who knows me, especially these ladies, know that I tend to get very, very in-depth about favorites. People having favorite things is such a fascinating concept and the reason why people gravitate towards specific characters, specific TV shows, specific comics, it really is this sort of chicken and egg situation of your favorite things influence who you are, but you are who you are because you have certain favorite things. And I just find it such a fascinating concept. And I love just getting really scientific about it and like nailing down, okay, these are my favorite characters from this thing and this is why. And then if you go down to the second tier of like assessment for these things, then that's why these characters are your favorite. I think it really is a window into the soul in a way that is just like very 21st century fandom oriented, but it feels accurate more than anything else. Well, so in your first tier, you have Emma and you have Black Widow. Okay, why why are they in your first tier? So my first tier of characters are basically two characters who started off as villains. They were characters who really had a darkness within them and then had a moment of reckoning where they decided, no, now I am going to be good. And I just find that to be such a fascinating character dynamic to delve into, especially with these two characters who do it in such like diametrically opposed ways. You have Natasha, who is so... She really is this gritty character. It's like all of the comics you read about her. She is very like moody, noir style. I must face my past and be better in my present and future. And then you have Emma, who is just like this absolute joy of chaos. And that she's like, yeah, I used to be terrible. You know what? I'm still terrible, but I'm going to try to be good. It's just these two diametrically opposed and yet so similar ways of approaching the same character arc that I just find 
absolutely fascinating. And as, you know, a Gemini myself, I really relate to liking <laughs> both of these characters who are just complete opposites and yet so the same. Well, I love that so many Marvel villains are like in this weird world where they're not necessarily like bad. They're just lost, maybe? That's exactly it. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I love Mystique. Mystique was my first favorite character. I liked... I like that she was blue, but I like sort of the power play. <laughs> I like Same. blue characters. It's She's fine. the inspiration for that one song in the 90s that was really popular. Blue Dabba Dee. Yes. <laughs> I shouldn't sing it. <laughs> My producers will yell at me. So then tier two, which is a, a different level of characters. You know, you have uh, Kitty Pride and Kate Bishop. Yeah. And I think that those two characters also are very similar in a way and that they are sort of the new kid on the block they are these characters who were introduced really to be audience surrogates in a way. They sort of walk this interesting line between like, oh, I'm the girl next door and something more than that. And I think that they're just so fun. And when I was like starting out my journey reading comics, those were obviously the characters I gravitated to because I looked at them and I was like, oh, Kitty Pride, that's just that's just me in a comic. And having that sort of touch point for like, you're surrounded by these absolutely amazing and fantastical characters of the Marvel Universe, these absolutely like wild situations you cannot predict or foresee happening in your real world. But having that grounding force of like, oh, yes, this character is not someone necessarily that I'm like, aspiring to be this isn't insanely powerful in like the obvious sense of the word character these are the characters that I can like place myself into were really valuable growing up and starting to read comics because they were really the way that you were able to step into the world you know what I found real I think is really interesting what you said Alana is this idea of like a character that you see as like a self-insert and like could come off to some people as like kind of one-dimensional and normal versus like these fantastical people. And I feel like that's something that Marvel does really well with like love interest characters to male heroes. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at like Mary Jane Watson or Gwen Stacy or Jane Foster, who is now Thor and now Valkyrie and like that kind of thing, I think they've always done, I mean, obviously as time has gone on, especially more recently, done a great job at like giving you those characters who you'd kind of look past initially and giving them their own journeys, which is kind of that in-between of that aspirational and current. I think that's, yeah. And I think it's something that really builds out the world in a way yes. that feels uniquely Marvel. You're never looking at something just through the lens of a hero. You know that all of the other characters involved in that world have their own stories to tell. And I think it's also important that you don't, for fans at home, you don't have to pick a favorite. Like, you can have multiple favorites because they all tell a unique and interesting story that connect to either you or your history or or the aspiration of who you want to be. For so many of us, it's the characters that we grew up with. Jen, you put Storm. I mean, Storm, you also mentioned Jubilee. Like, I just think of Jubilee from the animated series. Uh, <laughs> is that your connection to her? Yeah, I mean, the X-Men animated series was my first, like, step into the Marvel universe. I was watching it like on TV and I can't remember how old I was, but I was pretty young. But I remember seeing, I think Storm was the first person who caught my eye because I was like, who is this amazing, like badass woman who can control the weather? <laughs> like I think as I was watching the show and I'm, I'm slowly go doing my rewatch of the series on Disney Plus, I just found Storm to be like this type of 
hero that she's very human in the in the manner in, in which she like presents herself as a leader to like her fellow X-Men. She's like a mother almost and she's very protective and she's just like awesome. And I honestly I love the idea that she can control the weather. Like I would love to control the weather. I would that's something I thrive from sunlight. <laughs> I hate rain. <laughs> I hate the gloom. I hate the cold. Like if it were if I had Storm's powers, it would be perfect weather, a perfect 72 and sunny every single day. But as I was growing older, and I think one of the reasons why I did really enjoy the X-Men animated series growing up was that, you know, you have a character like Jubilee. And, you know, as an Asian American, I never really saw that sort of representation. And it didn't really occur to me until I was like, oh, like Jubilee was in this, like one of my favorite series growing up. And I hadn't realized at the time until much later that that sort of representation really matters. When I was younger, I think we, we only really had Mulan as well I think but in the whole like Marvel Comics universe like I didn't see that so I that was really important to me to really be able to be like hey yeah Asians Asian Americans can be heroes too and seeing that really made it important for me growing up and at one point I I did very loosely cosplay Jubilee (laughs) many comic cons ago (laughs) yes yes photo 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 no I don't know if I have a photo. photo We'll we'll connect after. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Kate Bishop again and representation, I mean Haley, you selected Kamala, Miss Marvel, and Kate Bishop. I mean, why those two characters? To be honest, superhero comics always scared me growing up. I was extremely overwhelmed by them. So I didn't actually start reading superhero comics until college. And I remember specifically walking into my college town's comic shop with friends. I had no intention to buy anything because, again, overwhelmed. Um, But Miss Marvel Volume 1, No Normal, was on the shelf. And for some reason, I was like, this is it. I'm going to finally start reading superhero comics. Maybe it was that it was a number one. Maybe it was there was a new character, so I didn't have to be worried I was missing all the context of her previous iterations. Now I just love her. She's the dream. She's a fan. She writes fan fiction. She plays video games, but also fights crime with Spider-Man. Like, which one of us does not want to just do that? And then Kate Bishop came later. I think Faith actually introduced me to her. She handed me Matt Fraction's Hawkeye in the office and just said, you will like this. Please read this. <laughs> I mean, I don't think I've ever met someone who hasn't liked Matt Fraction's Hawkeye, so... And I did. I loved it. I immediately was like, Kate Bishop's incredible. I love her vibe. She's just, again, such, like, a real person. She didn't seem, like, so fantastical and, like, otherworldly. She was just a person who knew how to shoot a bow and arrow and was friends with Clint Barton. Like... <laughs> And I think that that's an important part. There is no requirement, unless you want to be a comics editor, but there's no requirement for you to have read 80 years of comics or know all of the Wikipedia page of all these characters or work at Marvel. I had never read a superhero comic before I started at Marvel. Me, um, same too. Same, same, same. Yeah. And it was my coworkers at the time, including Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. H&M. <laughs> oh, our favorite. <laughs> Uh, who handed me a whole bunch of amazing comics, including Introduced to the Ultimates, which I think is a great introduction line for those who are looking for a great place to start with reading. We all 
got introduced to comics and superheroes in our own unique different ways, right? But it's the communities that brought us together. I mean, for context, I took photos of Faith when she was 12? On no, a I'm not, I was not 12. Were Judy. you 14? Ba- no. 15? Oh, oh, wait. Oh, God. Yeah, wait. <laughs> I'm talking about now. You were a baby. I thought you were talking about when we met at a con, which was no. six. I thought you were saying I was 12 six years ago when we met. I was not. I'm not no, dating no. you that much. Come on. No. It, <laughs> no, I was, yeah, I was like 12 or 13 years old when you first took pictures of me. <laughs> yeah, at New York Anime Festival in 2008. Nine? 2008. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we didn't meet till Katsukat a couple, you know, maybe six years later? Yeah, like six years later. Yeah. But I think that that's an interesting sort of part of the story is that conventions, community elements bring us all together. I mean, I do want to talk a little bit about like, I mean, Alana and Jen, you work with social media, right? That's a huge piece of the community element. And how does community and connections and reading so much and seeing so much of the way that fans interact, like how does that reflect on you guys? It's really weird. I'm not going to lie. Like I also grew up very, very immersed in fandom. Like, you know, I was your standard Tumblr girl from 2010 to like 2000 and now. (laughs) I think we all were. I think we all are. And it's so weird now being on the other side of it because I remember having tweet notifications on for when the Marvel Twitter would post and now I'm the one who is posting and it is just every day such a weird like mind flip to deal with that. But it's really interesting now seeing how fandom has grown and developed and how adaptable fandom is to new information, new characters, new stories, and new platforms. Like, you can really trace how fandom has changed over the years and yet has still stayed the same. I love whenever, especially when we're looking at stuff from, like, the Marvel Unlimited account on Twitter and seeing people responding and interacting with what we post there which is a little bit more like very fandom oriented I would say as compared to the main Marvel handles it's really really interesting to see how fans choose to engage because it sort of goes beyond just like your standard oh I want to theorize I want to like shout stuff into the ether about Marvel it's about that connection people are finding each other and finding friends and finding like honest to god family through bonding over their love of Marvel and to be that middleman to watch that happen over the internet is honestly like kind of like a gift it's so weird I can't I can't say anything beyond that it's just weird but also delightful i'm in charge of the twitch as well and so i moderate the twitch chat when we go live and i you know post as marvel entertainment on twitch which is just a weird thing to say it's again that community we only started on twitch back in june so we're still fairly new at live streaming there but like immediately we got a community of people that come back every single stream. Like I recognize usernames coming back and they're all friends now and they all chat on their own. And it's so nice to see that community still evolving. Like maybe these people didn't watch our live streams anywhere else, but now that it's on Twitch, they're like, this is our community. 
I run our Reddit. Our Reddit fans, like we we expected when we launched the Reddit account, we really expected, I mean, Reddit has a reputation on the internet for either being like really good or really bad. Like they either do a lot of good or, you know, there's some really not nice people on there. And it was a surprising joy to see uh, that Marvel fans came to each other's defense and supported each other's theories and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I think certain groups of fandom get like a bad rap And it was kind of a joy to go on Reddit and see some of the weird and wonderful things that our fans create and talk about and all that kind of stuff. Going off of that, too, we launched something during beginning of quarantine last year called Marvel Mission. And Judy, you worked with me on this, too, where it's we have fans kind of create props. And it's been going on for almost a year now. And it's been so cool to see so many folks just kind of basically how they interpret the mission like they could create like a shield on like a piece of paper or they can can create like a full you know shield that they can just hold and just throw around you kind of see the same people take part in it every single time and what i've noticed from you know looking through all the submissions and everything is that they comment on each other's posts and i'm like this is so wholesome i love this and they oh my foster like a sort of like small community with one another and they've kind of kept up with each other that way and i'm like you know what that's cute i never had that that's cute <laughs> <laughs> i think that another really great example of that is um hashtag x spoilers Um, which is the hashtag that's commonly used by X-Men fans, uh, specifically fans of the current X-Men comics on Twitter, uh, to ensure that people aren't spoiled for that week's issues before they have a chance to read them. But it also has become this absolutely amazing mechanism for community gathering. It's how, like, X-Men fans talk about the books from that week and exchange these, like, really incredible ideas and criticisms and are able to really forge a community around their love of X-Men and take it and make it something more. Uh, I find that I actually like studied fandom in college. um, And I'm not um, surprised. That's so cool. (laughs) I didn't know that. (laughs) It's true. One of my thesis papers in college was comparing fan communities of the late 1990s and early 2000s to women's Shakespeare clubs of the 18th and 19th century um, and how their organizational structures and what was like produced out of them is actually very, very similar. So fandom's been around for a while. I'd like to read that. Can I read that? I can pass it around. I would totally read that. I wrote a paper in college about anime and how anime is so connected to the pop culture and moment and specifically around Ghosts in the Shell and how much I loved Matoko. Uh, I would like to read that. I would like to read that. I think I could find it. (laughs) It's really great that you mentioned that because I feel as though anime and manga really helped foster my sort of fandomness before going into like Marvel comics and that universe and everything because like you know I love I love all different types of anime too and it was really fun to kind of see that and then like create fan fiction out of that for a period of time I'm not revealing any of the ones I wrote 
What's your fanfic name? What's your fanfic name? I'm not yeah, going to say anything. Don't think, don't think I'm going to let this go when we're off of this, no, Jen. Now I'm that I know. I'm not going to share anything. That's going with me to the grave. But fanfiction is such a like fascinating concept. It is so fascinating. It's fun. It's, I've realized in the last year or so that there is like no shame in writing fanfiction because if you look at the... So I studied entertainment and arts marketing in college. So like same idea. Papers on the MCU, all that nonsense. I took a television writing class, like a script writing class, and the whole point was we had to spend a semester writing a spec script. So that's literally a script for a television show that already exists. It is a fanfic in script format, and that is how television writers get their jobs, is through spec scripts. They don't want to hear your original ideas, they want to see how you can work in a writer's room for someone else. And so it, it, it kind of dawned on me that, like, Fan fiction is that same idea. It's interpreting characters that already exist and creating new plots and stories for them. And I feel like it was so shamed on because it was such a, for a while, like such a female heavy piece of medium and a female heavy piece of art and just, or even just like non, non-masculine, you know, people who didn't see themselves or the things they wanted to see represented in art created fan fiction and create spec scripts and create all these kinds of things. And You know, there's no shame in that, I think. This is the story of the next generation coming to work at a company that has 80 years of history and how, you know, obviously in the beginning there were no fandoms, right? There were fan communities, but nothing like what it is now. And by the time we got to the 60s and the 70s, you're really seeing the people coming to work at Marvel that are fans of what, you know, Stan Lee and Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko have started to create. And then by the time you get to the 80s and the 90s and the aughts, you're seeing a different generation. And so I think what's really important now is that the generation that's coming in to work at Marvel and pop culture companies are the people that have had this history, right? We all grew up with the internet. So we know what it's like to create a community online. And I think that that, you know, Jen, what you did with Marvel Mission reflects that, right? That we can't connect in person. We can't connect at a con, but we can connect online and we can build this community. And I think we've all made friends, new friends, thanks to this weird time, right? Well, I feel like it's been easier to keep, it's it's less taboo to try to keep in touch with certain people now that we're all online. Like there are friends who I don't, talk to as often and um, who I see normally at, you know, two conventions a year. I see KatsuCon, DragonCon, some just at DragonCon down in Atlanta, for those who don't know. And I've made a point to, to reach out to these people to try to talk to them more consistently. And we've become less, as we call them, con friends and more real friends because we're not just talking, you know, in a costume at three o'clock in the morning in a hotel lobby. You know what I mean? (laughs) And it felt weird when we saw these people once a year and only saw them once a year because then it was like, you are this friend of mine that is dedicated to this one portion of my life. And I think that's how fandom friends are too, because you think of them as friends that you talk to about fandom. But then as that conversation starts to bleed about your real lives, you realize like, this is, these are my real friends and they're not less valid because I met them on the internet or I met them at a convention or something like that. Just as someone who is like in the middle of creeping into a new fandom at the moment over on the internet. um, (laughs) Creeping into a new (laughs) fandom. <laughs> I, that works. There, works. There's no other way to describe it. It almost feels like your first day of summer camp when you're like trying out a new thing and trying to like meet friends over the internet. And I feel like quarantine has really just sort of like opened up that space in a way where 
it feels it feels less gated. It feels like, oh yeah, we are all at home all the time. We are going to need to find a way to socially interact with people. So let's make this our starting point. And I think that's really valuable right now. And I think that the Marvel fandom honestly has been like very, very welcoming over the course of this time to introducing new people to the various worlds of Marvel and helping show the way for, oh yeah, like this is just you starting off now reading comics. Let's show you where you can get started. And I think that that has been really great to watch. And that's something that we as people who are working at Marvel are actively looking at and trying to see how fans are helping each other so that we can create content that helps them as well. Yeah, that I was gonna say it's like our like how we put out all the reading lists and things like like trying to find that gateway, how to take your first steps into a new universe. Oh god, that sounded terrible. <laughs> put that on a t-shirt. That's put accurate. it on a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta find a way in somehow. And for every person it's a different way in, and that's okay. I feel like the fans at home are listening to this and they're like, there's four people here who work at Marvel. I wanna hear the secrets. <laughs> okay, we're not going to give them secrets. But what's your favorite part about working at Marvel? So I think for me, it's the conventions that we get to work with. So New York Comic Con happens, you know, usually every year. And I run the live stream, you know, every day. We're live streaming all day. We have, you know, the cosplay contest and all of that stuff. And getting to be there while we're at the convention and we get to be surrounded by all those people that do like our content. I think just the energy there is wild. That's honestly something I miss too. Like, listen, a lot of people like to hate on cons. I know the people who are listening to this may not, but others may. And the great thing about it is that you have this massive convention center that is just a hub of so many different fandoms that are happening. And to be in the Marvel booth six, seven, eight hours at a time and just like seeing so many different people, seeing all the different costumes, you know, being on your feet your entire day, you're just like, wow, this is actually a lot of fun. And like, as someone who has been on the other side as a fan, like, you know, I used to line up to get into Hall H to now posting about announcements coming out of Hall H has been such a exhilaration. It's a weird thrill. Do I get stressed? Absolutely. But is it fun? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. We don't sleep. Like, we don't sleep that whole weekend. <laughs> what about you, Alana or Faith? For me, it's really interesting because I started out at Marvel as an intern in the summer of 2018. It was the summer of my junior year of college. And the way that I always describe it is that I just um, wouldn't let them let me leave which is not true. We weren't gonna let her leave. Like, there was never an option of her leaving. She was stuck. So I feel like I've really lived my entire adult life at Marvel because I went from being an intern to being a coordinator. Now I'm an assistant manager on the team. And it really is a combination of the people and this, like, ethereal concept of the world of Marvel. You walk into the office every day and you're greeted by a statue of Iron Man. And like, I I would do this thing every morning since my first day at the office. I would just like salute Iron Man as I walked in. And I just <laughs> never stopped. It's like a like, Pavlovian like response now. It's like whenever I see a statue of Iron Man, just gotta give a salute. And I think that that sort of encompasses 
how it feels to work at Marvel, you constantly feel like you have one foot in another world. And it really does feel magical. But the thing that keeps you grounded is that you have one foot in this magical world that you need to learn everything about all at once. And you have fans that are constantly yelling but in a nice way on social not always (laughs) and you need to know everything but you have this office full of people who are all as passionate as you are both about the world and about each other like like my marvel friends are my marvel family and i really mean that and i'm getting all fuzzy about it but like it's true these are the people who like raised me from infancy and i'm so grateful for all of them Alana's baby. (laughs) Alana is our child. For perspective, we are all on different teams, but we are all under the same umbrella. So we, the four of us, have all worked together since, you know, we've all been here. I've known Faith before she worked at Marvel. Yes, that's true. Jen and I were friends, like Judy and I were friends, because we met through the nerd girl, professional nerd girl zeitgeist, as it is. Like, we're basically every... Yes, yes. Well, it's because I feel like everyone who is a professional nerd girl kind of vaguely knows each other because the circle is so tight but yeah that's what it's about it is the people it's those people it's you know Jen who I knew and like you know met up for lunch uh like two months before I started and I was like I'm interviewing and I might come work with you and like that kind of thing and like it's that excitement that comes with getting to know people better who you kind of only knew a little or admired or you know I like Alana said earlier I was watching Marvel's live streams from Comic-Con on Marvel.com in the comfort of my home for years when I knew Judy just through conventions. And then, uh, you know, I came in and I we were sitting three desks away from each other. I always aspired to be like these people. And there's a moment, you know, I just hit three years on Saturday here. And it, it takes a while for you to realize, like, I'm here. And, and I think it's because the people that we work with every day are just, they're friends, they're family. It's, it's not like this uncomfortable office situation where you're working with people and it's very clinical and you're just doing a job day in and day out. I mean, you know, when all of this started and we were all working from home, we would Zoom from, you know, nine to five Eastern time because we just wanted to be around each other still. Like, how many places can you go that you can say that about the people you work with that you just like consistently want to be with them more. I feel like so many people talk about their jobs like they are so tired of going and they're so happy to be home because they could just be like isolated. And listen, I'm happy I don't have to commute two hours in the morning every morning, but I would do it again and again to be back with these people every day. We have that thing in common, that passion for this company and and its characters. And I think you can't not love those people because of that. Yeah. I'm going to cry. <laughs> Oh my god, my goal was to make someone cry. I think you knew it was gonna be me. You knew it was gonna be me, Judy. It was always gonna be me. Well, I thought it could have been Jen. We, you know, that's fair. Listen, that's fair. I like to cry, and it's not today. (laughs) I've had a heart of stone this last month. Well, it's okay. I'm marshmallow enough for all of us. So, okay, final question. Any advice you have for fans out there who want to get in social media or distribution or any new media sort of spectrum? What do you guys think would be a good advice for this next generation? Having worked in the social media space for very long, you have to get to a point where you stop caring and then that's when you have fun. You get to a point where you have to kind of 
develop a sort of thick skin and haters gonna hate and find your way of having fun and then yeah make a hobby out of it and hopefully make some money out of it too uh, aside from that the thick skin with i which i don't think all of us have developed yet nope <laughs> <laughs> still working on it <laughs> bring it back to emma frost diamond skin we're fine my best piece of advice for getting into any job in the digital sphere is just like taking the time to show initiative if you are given an opportunity like don't be the person who constantly needs hand-holding from your superior. Be the one who's like, oh, I see this cool thing that we could do. I have an idea. Let me show you how we can do it. As long as you are constantly trying to innovate and show initiative and take the opportunities that are given to you, like that's the way to create something new. And that's the way to be given more opportunities in order to do that. Just initiative that is my one word in in that vein i think the other thing you need to make sure is to to not be ashamed that you want to go into something that you love my mom always says that there are jobs that you don't even think about like at the people who write the insides of greeting cards and things like that it's the jobs that and that's what i feel like so many of these jobs are and you know so just because you have a degree in math doesn't mean you can't come work at marvel comics and things like that and so if you have weird experience that ties into the thing you love that maybe doesn't tie into professional experience. I mean, I got my first job out of college in entertainment because I put on my part of my resume said that I had 12,000 Tumblr followers. And Tumblr felt like a really weird thing to put on my resume. But I, you know, my then boss thought that that was, you know, interesting because I was able to tap into fandom. And, and I knew fandom audiences and that developed into a social media and audience development job and audience development was very new then. And when I left that job, that made me qualified for this job. And now, you know, here I am and they'll never get rid of me. But, you know, you never think of all of the things that you love that maybe doesn't seem like on paper, this is professional job experience, you know, people will care about that because it does show that you have something that you worked on that you're proud of and Make sure you talk to those people, too. I mean, I knew Judy beforehand, but that was like before I was even thinking about going into jobs or anything. I just I talked to everyone. I, I met people I loved. And then you'll find out that, you know, one day you could sit next to them in the, in the office because you just meet people and you get to know them on a, on a personal level, not even on like a professional level. And the nerd world is big but small. It's very small and and no one's ashamed of their fandom or at least you know we're working on learning how not to be <laughs> so uh, yeah that's a very roundabout way of saying be a nerd and network <laughs> backing off something faith said about like not even knowing jobs existed if you had told me you know five years ago that there was a, going to be a job at marvel where you upload videos to youtube I would not have believed you. I uploaded videos to YouTube for fun. I had YouTube channels, you know, we all had inspiration to be a YouTuber at one point in our life. And I had no idea that this like side hobby would somehow relate to a job I could have in the future working for a company like Marvel. So like any of those like side hobbies you have, just keep doing them. And like Faith said, put them on your resume. Like anything could be something that could get you a job, even if it seems just a fun thing you're doing on the side. It's it's weird. I upload videos to YouTube. <laughs> 
<laughs> I could have told you five years that I there was a job. You could have come and done it for me. I would have loved know. that, Haley, because that's what I did in 2016. <laughs> totally, like, I enjoyed it, but it's so stressful when you had to upload the big studios thing. Yes. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no fear, one fear. There's <laughs> that moment, like, 10 seconds before you press publish that you just sit there with your, like, holding your breath, like, okay, here you we go. You see your life flash before your eyes. Yes. Every yes. single yes. time. <laughs> well, this has been so much fun. So one final thing, where can fans find you at home? Alana. You can find me at A Perry Platypus on Twitter. <laughs> A good Twitter name. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> what about you, Jen? I'm Jen XY, that's two N's across Twitter and Instagram. But follow me on Twitter because I post random crap on there. <laughs> and you, Faith? You can find me at Faith No More, not the band, M-O-A-R. And that's on Twitter and Instagram. Twitter for actual content, Instagram for a lot of cosplay. And Haley? I am underscore Haley Alexandra on Twitter. And you can just find so much random thoughts there. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that what Twitter is? Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. But they're, they're even more random. I tweeted like two weeks ago that mac and cheese is better with peas, and then I got in a fight with Dan Slott about it. So that was Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's Somehow an opinion. That's <laughs> now I want to try that, though. It's delicious. Highly recommend. Okay, well, seriously, thank you so much for joining us. Hopefully everyone at home is having a good Women's History Month. So we'll see you guys at later then. Bye, Judy. Bye, Judy. Bye, Judy. Love you. Judy, that sounded like so much fun. I wish I could have been there. It was such an amazing conversation. I mean, I love all four of those women, and I miss them so much. Uh, we used to hang out all the time. And of course, because it's been so long since we were all together, the interview went so much longer than what we put in the episode. So, you know, would love to see if we could do more conversations with women at Marvel uh, about fandom, because fandom connects us all. Speaking of which, I would like to take this opportunity to pass the mic to one of our sister shows. The final episode of Marvel's Declassified is about fandom through the ages, and we happen to have a clip of co-host Lorraine Sink chatting with famed cosplayer Yaya Han about the cosplay community, which Judy, I know, is super close to your heart. Let's take a listen. I was born in China, and uh, my parents uh, divorced and my mom moved to Germany and I followed her to Germany. So I actually grew up in Germany, even though I have roots all in China. And I am here because of fandom. (laughs) (laughs) I was a geek and a fan from a young age, but Germany was developing a lot slower in terms of, you know, fandoms and uh, so I felt very out of place. It was like I had to hide who I was and what I liked because people in my class and friends, they just didn't understand. And when I came to America, it was like a whole new world opening. I felt like I found my people for the first time. So what was your first convention? So Anime Expo 1999, that was my first convention. And I went with the fan club, uh, the anime club. They rented a bus and they had this whole thing organized and we had to drive um, several hours (laughs) cross states to get to Anaheim. 
then I also prepared a couple of costumes, very badly, really <laughs> horrible costumes. But, you know, I learned how to sew. Uh, so I had a really well-rounded, good first convention experience where I really felt like I could be myself. And that really cemented my desire to come back to this um, environment again and again and again, because it's like in normal life, it was like very depressing and boring. It was super broke, young, alone. So for me, it was like total escapism to go to a convention. And nobody was asking like, so what do you do or where are you from? It was just very like, hey, you're one of us. And what was the actual experience like at the Anime Expo in 99? So it was at a Hilton Hotel in Anaheim. And Anime Expo was the biggest anime convention in the world at the time, I believe, or at least in the United States. Um, there were 6,000 attendees. Which that's it. is not a lot compared <laughs> no. to Comic-Con. Oh, God, it's <laughs> tiny. 6,000, it was tiny. It was just like in a, in a hotel, you know, hallways. The hallways were kind of dimly lit. And, you know, like everybody had disposable cameras. You know, no, no one had, <laughs> we, we didn't have smartphones back then. So photos were all taken on disposable cameras. So what have been some of the big changes that you've seen in your time being part of the convention scene? Oh, it is a totally different world now. It truly is. So I went from going to maybe two conventions a year to 10, 15 a year within the span of maybe six, six, six years. And the conventions also had more variety to them. And over time, I noticed that the genres were crossing more at conventions. So you would see comic book and sci-fi costumes at anime conventions, and you'd see anime costumes at, uh, you know, comic conventions. What is that experience like when you're cosplaying a character and you have that sort of mutual acknowledgement of fandom between you and another person? What is that like for you? Uh, it's almost like telepathy. It's like out of the corner of my eye, I see a group dressed as my favorite characters from something. And I get so excited. I'm just like, oh my God, I want to talk to them. And it's this immediate understanding. Like, I don't know you. I don't know your name, but we are, you know, we're bros. <laughs> and that's what I love about cosplay. It goes beyond wearing a T-shirt of your favorite character or, you know, like, like how else do you express what you love with more passion? You know, you dress up as the character that you love. That's like sort of the pinnacle of being a fan. I love Yaya so much. I actually have a great story of my first memory of finding Yaya online she and her her now husband, Brian, had cosplayed Psylocke and Wolverine at a convention and they had photos on her website. And I was looking for Marvel cosplay pictures on the Internet. Maybe this was 2008. This was like a long time ago. <laughs> uh, and I found her online and then eventually I went to a convention and got to meet her. And I remember being like fangirling real hard, being like, oh, it's Yaya Han. I mean, Yaya is pretty famous in the industry. I mean, she changed the game for cosplayers and for fandom and, and community. And, and the cosplay community is amazing. I mean, I can't wait for us all to get back together again in person. We have too many costumes to wear, I'm sure, uh, at a convention. 
I have actually never cosplayed at a convention. It's something that, like, in my heart, I've always secretly wanted to do, but it was never the right time for it. But I love cosplayers so much. And when I first started going to conventions, it was around the time that Fearless Defenders first came out. So getting to meet those ladies who were cosplaying all of those characters was so wonderful. And because I do have a particular soft spot in my heart for any character whose design I was around when it was happening, I will ask every Silk cosplayer to take a picture from now until the end of time. And I will text them all to Robbie Thompson. So he's cool with that. I'm cool with that. It's great. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there's so much power in someone involved in a character see this costume for the first time. And we would love to see all the amazing, marvelous costumes you've been making while possibly stuck in your home including new costumes, because I knew we've had some new costumes come out in the last year. So I'm talking to you X-Men, X-Men fans out there. But uh, you can send them to us. If you email them to us at womanof at marvel.com, you can tweet them to us at Marvel using hashtag womanofmarvel. Um, we'd love to share them on Instagram. So please, please send them our way. Until next time, this is Marvel, your universe. Women of Marvel is produced by Alexis Williams, Rebecca Seidel, and M.R. Daniel, along with Judy Stevens, Anjali Crochet, and me, Ellie Pyle. Our development manager is Brad Barton, and Jill Duboff is our director of audio. Special thanks to Faith Disa, Alana Hernson, Jen Lai, and Haley Knatzer. <laughs>